I'll start with the definition of mother tongue. Mother tongue can be defined as the first language in which a child learns to express himself or herself in. There could be many definitions of mother tongue, but as we talk through this topic this morning, let's use this as our working definition. It's often used synonymously with first language, home language, and native language. It can also be used interchangeably. And in my presentation, there are places I'll say mother tongue, there are places I'll say home language, there are places I'll say first language. Please, all these are meant to mean the same thing, mother tongue. Another day, uh, this man, Patanayak, says, mother tongue is the expression of the primary identity of a human being. It is the language through which a person perceives the surrounding world and through which initial concepts formation takes place. The child is acclimatized to its environment through naming each object, phenomenon, and mood of changing nature. Nelson Mandela, we've talked a little bit this week. We've mentioned him a little bit. We are in Africa. <laughs> so if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to him in his language, the mother tongue, that goes to his heart. And that makes mother tongue the language of the heart. And I submitted to a number of us this week while we were in a, a group, one of the reading groups, that actually for the first time I was working with people who are not SIL, who call the mother tongue the language of the heart. I had never, in my 17 years of working in mother tongue, I had never heard that phrase used anywhere else. So thank you Montessori for recognizing mother tongue as the language of the heart. <coughs> The other uh, term that we are going to define is the term mother tongue-based multilingual education, abbreviated as MTBMLE. It's an education program that begins in the learner's first language, the L1, helps the learners to build fluency and confidence in the second language, that's the L2, or other additional language as required and encourages them to use both the L1 or additional language to achieve quality education. And this definition is according to UNESCO. Okay, so is mother tongue-based multilingual education a new thing? No. I'll say multilingual education has occupied many linguistics and educational conferences around the group globe over the last five decades. The debate on the use of learners' first language in education took center stage following the 1953 declaration of the UNESCO on the use of vernacular languages in education. The declaration emphasized the benefits, that is cognitive benefits, social benefits, psychological and educational benefits associated with such a practice. And this is the axiom that came from this uh, uh, declaration, that it is axiomatic that the best medium for teaching a child 
is his or her mother tongue. Psychologically, it is the system of meaningful signs that in his or her mind works automatically for expression and understanding. I'm hoping something is up there. <laughs> Sociologically, it is the means of identification among the members of community to which he or she belongs. Educationally, he or she learns more quickly through it than through an unfamiliar medium. That is from the, drawn from the UNESCO's 1953 declaration on the use of mother tongues in education. Hernandez says that on a cultural level, language is the symbolic expression of a community, encoding, encoding a group's values, its folk, folk ways, and its history. Socially, it is the most powerful means of interaction and communication. And it is through language that an individual or a group seeks and attains participation in society. The denial of a people's development and use of its native tongue is thus a denial of its participation in society and its very people would. We'll do, I'll give an illustration to um, support what that, that last bit that I've talked about. Vesa, a seven-year-old pondering the challenges of receiving education in a foreign language had this to say. It is, I'm trying to say this as a seven-year-old. It is so strange when you learn in a new language, even if you think you understand what those words mean, deep inside, you still don't understand. But when you learn in your own language, you understand deep inside your innermost self what everything means. Assume that was the voice of a seven-year-old. <laughs> These sentiments of a Finnish boy coming to terms with the, with the language realities in a foreign country represent the voices of many monolingual children all over the world today who are struggling to make sense of education delivered in a language they do not speak or understand. This happens despite the cognitive, social, linguistic, and even economic benefits associated with teaching children in their first language when they begin school. Kanga says, many minority language children are being forced to feel ashamed of their own mother tongues, their parents, their origins, their group, and their culture. Many of them take over the negative views which the majority language speakers have of the minority groups and their languages and cultures. Many disown their parents and their own groups. They shift their identity and want to belong to the majority. Makati says, in the classroom, curriculum and pedagogy are the mirrors in which the children see themselves reflected and through which they construct images of themselves as thinkers, learners, and users of language. Cummins, Jim Cummins says, to reject a child's language in the school is to reject the child. When the message, implicit or explicit, communicated to children in the school is, 
leave your language and culture at the schoolhouse door. Children also leave a central part of who they are, their identities, at the schoolhouse door. We will illustrate that. And with a poem, I didn't know that you love poems, but I came with a poem without knowing that a lot of poetry goes on here. And this is what this uh, person says about their language. The title of the poem is actually, My Language, My Home. And the person says, my innermost soul is at balance in my language. The closeness of it caresses my hair. It has grown together with me and taken root in me. My language can be painted over, but not detached without tearing the structure of my cells. If you paint a foreign language on my skin, my innermost soul cannot breathe. The glow of my feelings will not get through the blocked pores. There will be a burning fever rising within me looking for a way to express, express itself. Another illustration, um, I would say this is like memoirs of someone that has gone through a foreign country, education in a foreign country, and trying to write the, what their experiences really meant to them and the things that they did. When the idea had eaten itself enough in me that it was despisable to be a Finn, just because he, he grew up in Sweden and he was being taught Swedish, not speaking Finnish, no one recognizes Finnish in the school. When the idea had eaten itself enough in me that it was despisable to be a Finn, I began to feel ashamed of my origins. There was nothing else for me but to surrender. I was overwhelmed with a desire to shed my skin and smash my face. That which could not be accepted had to be denied, hidden, crushed, and thrown away. A Swede was all I wanted to become. My mother tongue was worthless. This I realized at last. And what was the resolve? I resolved to learn Swedish letter perfect so that nobody could guess who I was or where I came from. As long as I was a bit careful, no one could tell I was Finn, neither by my speech nor by my ways. The only thing that betrayed me was my name. I spoke Finnish only when it was absolutely unavoidable. Those are the experiences of a child that went through uh, education in a foreign country, in a foreign language. What is the global linguistic scene? Approximately 6,700 languages are spoken around the world today. And the linguistic truism holds that there is no concept that cannot be expressed in any language, provided the need to do so arises. The use of languages understood by the majority of the population is the norm rather than the exception in education and other language use domains. We have a number of people, I think, who say they come from Asia or the Pacific. What is the scene there? In East Asia and the Pacific, a total of 2,815 languages are spoken by approximately 
1,918 million people. 62% of the population have access to education in their mother tongue, 62%. The clamor for the recognition and use of indigenous languages in education and other language use domains is real among the East Asians and those who are in the Pacific. For example, you can Google and read a little bit about the language matters of Bangladesh and see why people had to die because of their mother tongue. What's the African scene? We are in South Africa, then Africa for that matter. What's the African scene like, linguistic scene like? 30%, that is over 2,000 of the world's languages are spoken on the African continent. The commonly held view is that certainly la certain languages cannot be used to express concepts adequately, especially in science and technology. Across Africa, the idea persists that international languages of wider communication, that is Arabic, English, French, Portuguese, and Spanish, are the only means for upward mobility. Africa is also the only continent in the world where the entire population has to struggle to make of technological and informational progress through the medium of someone else's language. I will illustrate the Africa scene a little bit. Out of 54 countries, indigenous African languages are recognized as official languages in only 10 countries and Arabic in nine. 46 countries are foreign languages as official languages. French in 21 countries in Africa, English in 19, Portuguese in five, and Spanish in one African country. But the shocking uh, revelation is that only 10 to 15% of the African population are fluent in international languages despite their continued use as official language languages in these countries. This is to say that Africa consumes sometimes, actually most of the time, and critically, information and knowledge produced elsewhere through languages unknown to the majority of its population. In the education domain, statistics show that 221 million school-aged children in the world today are first language speakers of languages not recognized in the school system. 221 million children. Here, Africa is singled out as the only continent in the world where the majority of the children start school using a foreign language. As we've said, of the 2,000 plus languages spoken in Africa, only 176 languages are used in African education systems, and this is mainly in basic education. 25% of these are used in secondary education, and a mere 5% in higher education. In Sub-Saharan Africa, only 3% of Sub-Saharan Africa's population of over 8 million people access education through their mother tongue. It is also the case that 22 out of the 39 countries in Sub-Saharan Africa still use the medium instruction of former colonial entities. And sadly, no country in Sub-Saharan Africa uses an African indigenous language for instruction at the university level. 
Okay, what is the importance of mother tongue education? Studies that have been done all over the world show that a learner who begins education in a familiar language does not only learn better, but also excels in other academic areas because he or she understands what is taught. Studies also show that learner, the, a learner who is introduced in the, uh, to education in their mother tongue learns a second language better. They learn to read faster than otherwise when they have, they learn to read faster than otherwise than when they have to learn the language and at the same time learning how to read. And of course, mother tongue provides the very necessary link between home and school. Mother tongue promotes learners' active participation in classroom activities. And mother tongue, leads, mother tongue education leads to development of high self-esteem amongst learners when what they know is affirmed in school. And I bring this to us here. The first picture is of someone on one wheel and says one wheel, that is one language, can get you places. And the second one is on a big wheel and a small one and says, so can a big wheel and a little wheel. And the third one has two big wheels and says, however, when your wheels are nicely balanced and fully inflated, you will go further. And there's one who is stuck because his wheels cannot roll and says, provided, of course, the people who made the wheels knew what they were doing. I would like to invite you to take a minute and think about this in relation to decisions on languages in education, language policy in education. There's the last picture there that talks about provided, of course, the people who made the wheels knew what they were doing. When people plan children's education and leave out the mother tongue, do they know what they are doing? Is the question I pose to us. We call this the wheel analogy. Why mother tongue education is so important? Why is it ignored in the education system? And research has shown that these are some of the reasons. There could be many, but these are the key ones. One, lack of materials to teach in the mother tongue and to teach the mother tongue. Negative attitudes towards mother tongues. Remember we have said, especially in Africa, people think education is English. If you, are, you say you are educated and you cannot speak English or you can't speak good English, that's not education. <laughs> so negative attitudes towards mother tongues. Lack of teachers trained to teach mother tongue and in mother tongue. Lack of appropriate terminology in content areas. And then there's the multiplicity of languages represented in one classroom. Uh, let's look at something that will link us, help us to find a link between mother tongue education, the principles of emergent literacy, and what SIL interventions are in this field. I'll not talk a lot about the uh, principles of 
early literacy because um, I'm assured that these are practiced in your classrooms. There's a belief in the potential of all. That is one. Start where the children are and scaffold their learning. Three, provide a language-rich environment. Read to children daily from a variety of books. Provide frequent listening and speaking opportunities. Incorporate daily meaningful writing. Model appropriate language behavior. Develop daily and weekly language routines. Developing skills in contexts. And finally, use an appropriate developmental sequence in planning, glabophonic, and or decoding instruction. And I have a very nice quote here that says, happy, relaxed, stimulating relationships between children and between children and teacher promote growth of personality, which in turn advances achievement. That is a quote by Clay. The language factor. An interrogation of the principles for emergent literacy instruction will reveal that the language used must be one that is understood by the learners. For example, learners will not enjoy books if they are in a language they do not speak, nor will they have favorite books because they do not even understand the content in the first place. A belief in the learner's potential will include the language potential. Starting where children are requires teachers to respect the language the children bring to school and using that language as foundation for further growth. So what have we done in SIL to address the challenges that um, make people stay away from uh, teaching in the mother tongues? And that brings us to SIL's response to the identified challenges to multilingual based to mother tongue-based multilingual education in early literacy development, materials development. And I must point out here, from my interaction uh, so far with the Montessorians, I've realized that we are using materials. Your materials may include books, but it's a lot more than that. And it might not be exactly what we, how we use the word materials, what I'll put down here is what we refer to as materials in our context. And you understand materials in your context. So there might be a little bit of a difference. We develop books called primers. And primers are books for teaching reading. In this regard, SIL has developed a software called Primer Pro. And I will be telling you a little bit what Primer Pro does. When we develop the primers, we also develop corresponding teacher's guide. We develop big books for shared reading experiences. We develop supplementary reading materials. And under supplementary reading materials, we have developed a software called Bloom. And we also have a program called 
CBLD, that is Community-Based Literature Development. I will be talking to us again a little bit about Bloom and also a little bit about CBLD. We also develop alphabet charts. We develop shell books in different um, areas, for example, trauma healing, Candace story which addresses HIV AIDS, there are books on malaria, on breastfeeding, on diarrhea. Shell books means you can actually take the shell of the book with the pictures and everything and just put content in the language that you want to put the content in. That's what shell book means. So the first thing I said I'll talk about is uh, Prima Pro, which is a software that has been developed by SIL to aid in materials development, development of primers. It's a language software developed and released in 2011 by Kent and Leila Schroeder to simplify the curriculum development process for both primers and pre-primers. Before then, analyzing languages for mother tongue materials had to be done by hand or with weak software. Remember in the emergent literacy principles, we've said there's supposed to be a sequence that you develop. So Prima Pro helps us with sequencing the sounds in the language. Prima Pro is easy to use and provides a more detailed, accurate picture of language patterns. It analyzes and provides the recommended teaching order for various languages. And we usually the graphemes that produce more words are taught at the beginning of a primer and those that produce less are taught at the end. Prima Pro analyzes grapheme combinations, common words. It also provides a list of buildable words and usable phrases, phrases for each lesson in the primer based on the uploaded text and word lists. Prima Pro can find potential keywords to be used in a lesson. The program can highlight words that contain the letter being taught and it can also check written text for untaught letters that should not appear in lessons before it's taught. And for more information on this software, you can go to that website. But also we can interact more if you have any questions. Supplementary reading materials. Supplementary reading materials, we define them as any materials that support literacy development beyond those used for teaching reading. And supplementary reading materials are critical for literacy outcomes. Literacy outcomes include learning to read, developing reading, reading as a habit, reading to learn and access information, and reading for pleasure and enrichment. What do we know about literacy development? We know that access to a variety of reading materials is key to literacy outcomes. Appropriate design of reading materials facilitate the learning process. We also know that learners should also be afforded the opportunity to practice reading both at school and at home. Learners need to be exposed to sufficient and appropriate texts. But we know a primer is necessary but not sufficient for sustained literacy development. We also know that there is falsity of materials in various contexts for sustained literacy development. 
beyond the primer. So what next? Introducing Bloom. Get, uh, I will request that you get your mobile phones out, especially if you have an Android phone. Apples, I'm not very sure. <laughs> Android phones. Um, so let me talk a little bit about Bloom and I will share with you something which you will interact with and maybe we can engage a little bit in the workshop tomorrow about Bloom because of time. Bloom is a simple publishing software that was developed by SIL in 2012 with the aim of making it easier to create and develop simple reading materials and avail them to a wider audience. It requires less training when compared to other publishing software. Bloom has built-in templates and the user only needs to choose one of the templates and type in information and the book will be ready for publishing. Bloom used, uses various sources of images such as art of reading and you can also use image galleries and install them in Bloom together with the art of reading. One can input own images and Bloom software allows one to create decodable and leveled readers as well as templates for such readers to be shared with others in different domains. It is possible to create simple books, alphabet charts, calendars, and even record audiobooks in using the talking tool, talking book tool. Bloom books can be published as PDFs for printing or reading through various digital devices. Now, we have a website for Bloom, which is up there. Uh, bloomlibrary.org. You can find the latest source books there. And a recent development is the Bloom Reader app that enables Bloom books to be uploaded to an Android device via Wi-Fi or USB cable, either as PDF or audio book and shared with others. Earlier this year, Bloom won the Accessible Books for All Challenge, which was sponsored by All Children Reading, and the Enhanced Bloom feature allows one to create accessible books designed to be used in electronic format by people who are blind or have poor vision. Then we have this uh, community-based uh, literature development. It's the brainchild of Dr. Barbara Graham, a former colleague and consultant who served with SIL in Kenya and the rest of Africa for 15 years. CBLD is a fast-paced supplementary reading material production process in which community members author reading materials in a variety of genres. As the name suggests, CBLD addresses the paucity of reading materials beyond the primer. In CBLD, community members are brought together and taken through a process in which they identify the genres that interest different groups in the community. An exercise is then conducted where others identi are identified from among the group to take part in the supplementary material production process. We train the authors in creative writing and then they create the stories for beginning, intermediate and advanced readers. 
and the content of the materials has to be appropriate for their context, for the age and the reading levels of the learners. The materials are, are typed and edited on site with the bulk of the work being done by the close of the CBLD workshop. I was telling Lynn, just before I came here, we had a workshop for 10 days and we managed to produce 32 stories for the Trukana community. <laughs> to address the negative attitudes, we do in SIL research-based advocacy. And what is advocacy? It is the act of pleading or arguing in favor of something such as a cause, an idea, or policy. It's a series of actions taken and issues are highlighted to change what is into what should be. Advocacy in SIL addresses the negative attitudes and perceptions or misconceptions that community members and various education stakeholders have towards mother tongue-based multilingual education. And I was saying, um, if there is one thing Montessori shares with the mother tongue education, it is misconceptions. Being called what you are not. Being told you do what you do not do. Then here we talk about what do we know about language attitudes is that they are very deep-seated and that they impede in an important way on the reality of a life of a language. For example, positive attitudes towards indigenous languages are said to have led to their maintenance in India, while negative attitudes have led to the deaths of many languages in Africa and Latin America. We also know that while many factors that affect language use may be beyond the control of speakers, language attitudes lies squarely within the power of those who own the language, that is, its speakers. And Bamboche says that unless speakers take pride in their own language and show a definite desire to preserve it, no amount of external engineering can assure any status and viable roles for them. And this is the exact message that we take to communities. In the education domain, Louise says that any policy for language, especially in the education system, has to take into account the attitudes of those likely to be affected by it and that no language policy will succeed if it does not do one of the following. One, conform to the expressed attitudes of those involved. Two, seek to remove the causes of disagreement. And three, persuade those who express negative attitudes about the rightness of the policy. We look at one of each. Studies show that there are benefits that accrue to learners who begin schooling in their mother tongue, as already discussed in a previous slide. Aware of such benefits as SIL, we cannot conform to the expressed attitudes of those affected by the policy on mother tongue education. Should we seek to remove the causes of disagreement? In the context of where SIL works, removing the causes of a, uh, disagreement would have meant not supporting policies that favor the teaching in local languages spoken and understood by the learners. But again, 
considering the benefits of mother tongue education, we cannot remove the causes of disagreement. That leaves us with one option, to persuade those who express negative attitudes about the rightness of policy on mother tongue first for early literacy, that is advocacy. SIL addresses advocacy through research to provide evidence on the rightness of language policies in favor of mother tongue. We also develop advocacy materials with messages tailored for different audiences, for example, advocacy publications and booklets. We also do the examples of some of the materials and I think I've sent you, I have shared one of the readings or two of the readings here. There's good answers to tough questions in multilingual-based mother tongue education. There's um, mother tongue first. There's why languages matter, why language matters in relation to the sustainable development goals. Then we also have professional representation in key events. And on that note, I would like to point out that we actually, in SIL, we have a SIL's permanent representative to UNESCO, who gets all the information about upcoming meetings and we send representation in such meetings so that we can add the SIL voice on issues of language in education in such meetings. We also organize advocacy conferences like 2015 and 2016 in Kenya and Ghana respectively, developing how-to manuals in different areas of expertise we also have MLE, the MLEN phenomenon, which is advocacy groups in different countries. And we also implement Mother Tongue Fast projects to provide the evidence in, for Mother Tongue education. We also have an advocacy and alliance building department in SIL. And we, our goal is to build a supportive environment for successful language programs in Africa through leveraging our professional expertise for maximum influence and impact on local, national, and international decision makers. We engage with Africa-based and Africa-focused institutions to ensure that African languages included in funding for development strategies and education. We also continue a strong research agenda with the goal of generating evidence for advocacy messaging. We build capacity among colleagues, both in SIL and uh, weekly for organizations to carry out similar work at national and international levels. We engage with large institutional funders and implementers of large education and development projects to add our language expertise in that. And recently, the AAB department extended to Cape Town. We have an office in Cape Town, South Africa, and another one in Nairobi, Kenya. And what is the advocacy message? The message is based on the proven research-backed benefits that accrue to learners who begin schooling in languages they speak and understand. And the message is tailored for different audiences. An illustration follows. For example, when we had education for all, and the goal was to have education for all by the year 2015, our message would be, does education for all include everyone? 
does it include the 221 million children around the world today who are L1 speakers of languages not recognized in the school system? And for the sustainable development goal number four is about inclusive and quality education for all. Our messaging here would be, does inclusive education for all include everyone? Can we talk about quality education in the absence of understanding of what is taught? Teacher training, <laughs> you saw that in the, in the reasons why Mantatangi is not implemented, there is also lack of teachers who are trained. Um, we know that teacher training, it has been argued that what happens in teacher education institutions has implications for actual classrooms. It has also been documented that teacher education programs do not regard training in mother tongue teaching as a necessary component in teacher education because it is assumed that if one can speak a language, they can also teach it. Is the, but is that true? <laughs> so for teacher education, we engage through research. Uh, for example, there are these three uh, researches that have been recently published by SILS, and we also do actual training for of teachers for mother tongue-based multilingual education programs. This is for both the SIL implemented mother tongue education programs and also those that are funded by organizations like USAID. We bring in the mother tongue component, we help with the development of materials as well as training the teachers for that. We also seek, we also seek to institutionalize mother tongue-based teacher, uh, mother tongue-based multilingual education training in teacher education institutions so that that can be sustainable, not just lasting within the period of the program. The mother tongue, the multilingual classroom challenge where many children are in the same class, how do you handle that? I think I already submitted to a number of you that actually Montessori has a solution to this challenge. Even if we didn't go to do research, the same way you can have together in one place three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, or is it zero to, zero to three, three to six, you can have those different years together and you're able to guide them to go and do activities according to their ages. You can do the same with the children in your class that speak different languages. So we address this through research. And again, we have three researches here that have been done in relation to that. I think three or four researches that have been done in relation to that. The costs of sensible and socially just literacy development must be weighed up against the wastage witnessed in our education systems as evidenced in learners dropping out of school having to repeat grades and other evidence of non-achievement in school as revealed by different studies. And um, there's a man called Green Flankoy, I don't speak French, so I'm not very sure I'm even saying that word correctly, who has done a, a research and written a paper on the economics of multilingual education. Green 
2005. May we never lose sight of these two facts. One, an investment in a child yields up to seven times return to the society. Number two, the earlier the investment, the greater the return. And I pose a question. Which way for our children? Which way for the children you have that have been entrusted to you? Will they swim or will they sink? If you look at this illustration, at the top is children who are happily running across the bridge on their way to school. There's a building there which is supposed to be the schoolhouse. Below that is a thin line across the river. And these ones, many of them have fallen into the river. A few, one has actually managed to cross. The second one has crossed, but they are on their knees because it's been tough getting across that bridge or that thread. Another one is coming very close to the end, but we don't know whether they will get to the end or they will go across the bridge. And another one is right at the start, but they are falling in even before they make the second step. The top picture where the children are running across the bridge is the strong bridge that you provide to the children when they come to school and you teach them in a language they speak and understand. You give them a strong bridge to learn the unknown. The second one is where you start with a, foreign, a language that is foreign to the children. Many of us, especially many of us Africans who are in this room today, will tell you our classmates are the ones going down the river. They are the ones drowning. And we are the few children that survived the difficult system. The few that have crossed on the narrow thread. Which way for our children? Sink or swim? Thank you.